Hi, I'm Dee Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Welcome. Can you hear that in the background? Ah, so I live in the Pacific Northwest and I opened the sliding door so you could hear that beautiful rain in the background. Ah, it's a beautiful thing. Let me pause this. I'll go over and close the door, but it is such a beautiful place to live. And uh, I'm not someone who hates rain unless it comes in sideways and fills up my ears. Ah, but listen to that. I wish you could see it. It's just absolutely beautiful fall day as I record this. Okay, I'll be right back. I'm going to pause this and uh, get rid of that sound so you can have a little bit more pure sound experience. But, oh, enjoy this. Okay, I'm back. I closed the door and closed the window. And uh, so all that wonderful sound in the background that might bother you, <laughs> but that I love is, is, uh, is gone. It's muffled anyway. Gorgeous day. Uh, it's a Monday. Do you ever lose track of what day it is? <laughs> wow. Oh, I've always been that way. Uh, it's not just because I'm 63 years old and don't know my head from a high rock. It's not galloping senility or me forgetting to take my ginkgo biloba. <laughs> it's just that, ah, you know, I just enjoy every day. There's very few days that go by that I don't just deeply enjoy and I don't I don't think of a Monday as a certain kind of day or a Thursday as a certain kind of day necessarily. It's just a day. It's just a wonderful day. So here we are. I think it's a Monday. Let me double check. Yes, it is. It's Monday as I record this. I'll move the microphone a little bit so the sound is a little better. And you know what? It's in the evening. Um, let me see. It's, um, well, it's not evening. It's about four o'clock. So four o'clock Pacific time. So wherever you are, add an hour or two or three or eight or 12, <laughs> it depends on where you are. And I'm going to pour the last little bit of my Angel's Envy Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey and finished in port wine barrels. I don't know if you know much about Angel's Envy. It is an 86 proof bourbon and uh, each, one, each batch is hand labeled and each bottle is labeled. This is batch number 76H. Bottle number 5315. They put out a lot of bottles in that batch. And I didn't write down when I uncorked it. You're supposed to be able to do that, but I did not do it. I think I've had this one for about a year. And uh, many of the wonderful bourbons that I have are gifts from people. So I make them last a long time because I like thinking about you. I like thinking about the friends, the the wonderful people, the, the co the co-team members and wonderful people that I've gotten to do great stuff with over the years. And often, as a just as an expression of gratitude, I'll send a bourbon to someone or they'll send one to me if I know they're a lover of bourbon. Not everyone is because maybe they haven't grown up yet. They're just poured about a half an ounce. I like just sipping this a little bit. In fact, no, I tell you what, I'm going to finish this off, which makes it... Let me open that back up again. And I'll finish it off there. 
That's the end of the Angel's Envy bottle. It's a beautiful bottle. On the front, it says Angel's Envy, and it's curved. It's tall. It's about 13 inches tall and nice, beautiful curve. Then you turn around the back, and it's got Angel's wings on the back of it. And it's a wonderful thing. Set that down there. Take a take a look at it. It's a beautiful um, medium to light colored bourbon. Not necessarily all that dark like some of them are, but it's not light in smell or taste by any means. It's wonderful stuff. Here's a sip. Nice. That that very first sip. Sometimes you take your first sip of bourbon. As you, as you know, if you have bourbon or whiskey of any sort, sometimes that first sip is a bit of hey, kind of like in a I don't know, like in an old saloon back in the day. And, you know, you take a, take a slug of that and everyone goes, ah, and then they can barely breathe for a minute. But Angel's Envy doesn't do that. It's, it's warm. It's the little Kentucky hug you get. And, uh, and then the second sip is where the big taste comes in. And again, I'm using what's called a Norlan glass. You should, you should look those up, uh, N-O-R-L-A-N. And these are the clear ones, not the not the dark ones. You can see through them and they're double walled so that the warmth from my hand doesn't change the temperature of the bourbon or whatever I pour in it. And they're really quite beautiful. So no, it's not sponsored and no, they're not an affiliate, uh, but uh, you just grab some. They're wonderful. Or give them as a gift. That's even better. These were a gift to me from my son, Jonathan. Good stuff. Here's the second drink. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, I forget how good that is. It's wonderful. It's so good. Yeah, you ever, you ever uh, just kind of not communicate with someone for a while? You just get out of touch for a while. Maybe your life gets busy. Their life gets, and then you run across them. And maybe you're, maybe you're in a meeting, and they happen to be there too. And then you just, you just kind of have forgotten. As soon as they speak, you forgot how enjoyable they were. And, and that's kind of how I feel about this Angel's Envy. I kind of forget how good it is. And then I have another sip. It's like, oh, wow. But I don't want to go buy a bottle for myself. That kind of defeats the purpose. Uh, I, uh, when it's a gift, it's even better. Had a wonderful time down in Kansas City uh, a while ago and some folks around the table talking about a really wonderful thing that has to happen that's going to require a very, very strong team to be able to pull it off. It's pretty much impossible. The task that they're set about doing having to do with impacting this youngest generation and then probably two to three generations to follow if they do it right. So I had the great privilege of sitting around a table for a couple of days talking about some of the first steps they need to take to make that work. It's just amazing. And one of the people around that table um, is somebody who to me is like angels envy bourbon. Just, uh, just forget how, how deep and rich and enjoyable he is as a person. When he came into the meeting and sat down, and we greeted one another, and the meeting was already underway, and he began to speak. And the first few sentences out of his pie hole <laughs> were ones that reminded me of uh, how what a wonderful, wonderful friend he is, and a, uh, just a beautiful human being. So here's to you. You know who I'm talking about. Here's to you. You're, you're a, great, uh, a great man. So I'm enjoying Angel's Envy. I also lit a cigar just before I started recording, just before I walked over and opened the door so you could hear the rain. And all this time, the cigar went out. You know, it's, it's just about right. I keep my humidor at about 72% humidity. And in the summer around here, that's easy to do. In the winter, it, it's a little harder because it gets a lot more humid than 72% in the Pacific Northwest and stays that way for several months. That's okay. So that means that this one, which is, might be a little more humid than it needs to be, it will go out pretty quickly. But this is a Drew Estates cigar called a Rome. I think that's what it's called. 
Drew Estates is, makes some really good cigars. So if you're into cigars at all or curious about them or you've never really enjoyed a cigar, get a small Drew Estates cigars. They are infused cigars, almost all of them, and they have some sort of really complex taste because of spices that they infuse the cigars with. They don't dip them in sugar like some of the cheap folks do, but they infuse them in a beautiful way. Here we are talking again about these amazing teams that are out there that change the world. They rock the world. They keep us from going over a cliff or they build bridges so that the cliff is just to, just almost not noticeable. They take us to heights. They turn us to the right when we're about to careen off the cliff to the left. They are amazing forces to be reckoned with. And you and I want to be a part of those teams. And we studied for years, as you know, as if you've listened in the last few podcasts, we've studied for over 30 years these teams to try to figure out what is it. Is it the personalities of the people that come together? Is it just like a, a like an accident uh, of nature? Did did the stars align? If you're that kind of person who uses that weird phrase, is it just an accident that they, that they that they were together as a group at the right time, the right people with the right challenges? What happened? Well, we know some things as we've studied them over years and then therefore wanted to replicate them in some of our work about. And we found that, uh, first of all, it's the work that makes the team. There has to be a purpose that is S-I-R, the word sir. The purpose has to be significant to everyone involved in the team. And that significant has to kind of take their breath away. That leads us to the I in the SIR acronym. That purpose of the team, the mission, the thing they're trying to accomplish has to kind of take their breath away. They have to say, we can't do that. It's impossible, uh, at least on first glance or in some of the things we've been doing on second, third, fourth, and fifth glance, <laughs> it seems impossible. We can't do this. Why? Because of the R. We don't have enough resources. Uh, we don't have enough time or wisdom or money or people. Uh, we, we have too many forces aligned against us. The R could also stand for resistance with thanks to Stephen Pressfield. It's significant. It's impossible. We don't have enough resources because there's a lot of resistance against us. Those are the things that pull together people, average folks like you and I, and put us together and, and give us a challenge to accomplish that will change the world. Sidebar, I find it interesting that uh, when interviewed, almost everyone thinks they are above average if you ask uh, a thousand people, are you below average, average or above average in your driving skills, for example, about 92% of those people will say they are above average, making me want to quote the line from the movie Princess Bride. I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> so back to you and I, you know, we're average. Uh, you know, I'm in a couple of ways in my life, I might be above average, but most of the rest of it, I'm just a guy just like you are. You're just a lady. You're just a guy. We're just people. But this vision of this thing captured your attention and you have to do it, but you want to do it with other people and you want it to make it, you want to make it work. You want to make it last. You want to make it happen. It has to. It's not just you want to, you must, you're compelled to do it. Well, then when you come together as a group of people, as a team, how can you make this work? Because more often than not, teams set up against or in light of a massive, important, compelling challenge fail. But some don't. Why? Well, they are teams that in our study and in our observation, if we can humbly add to the conversation, practice five disciplines. They are successful because they've practiced the first discipline of what we call high performance teams, teams that really are high impact teams. They've practiced the first discipline for a little bit of time and it starts to get traction. 
that first discipline, as you remember, if you've listened to the previous podcasts, is um, or or if you've read the book, my my book called The Five Disciplines of High Performance Teams. Shameless plug, go out and grab it. I'm sorry I don't have it in Audible yet. Too many things going on that are higher priority by choice. First discipline is show up. And we show up by fulfilling all of our commitments. We make them carefully, our promises to one another as a team. We make them carefully. There are no big promises. There are only small ones. And we show up by fulfilling all of our commitments 100% of the time, regardless of the cost, which means that we carefully think through our promises before we make them. We don't casually nod, you bet I can bring donuts on Friday, and then not do them. We show up. We show up. We do what we say we're going to do when we say we're going to do it. And then the other part of that first discipline show up is to show up mentally, to keep my head in the game. There's so many things that distract me from the from Instagram to, to uh, I don't know, Pinterest, to conversations, to my knees that hurt. There's so many things that distract me that it's easy for me to not have my head in the game. So high performance teams practice this first discipline by showing up. They fulfill their commitments and they keep their head in the game. And that's a team event, by the way. I need your help to help me keep my head in the game. So if you've practiced that first discipline for a while, then you've come to understand as you practice that first discipline that you have an effect or an impact on one another in your team. And so you start then after you've practiced discipline one to practice discipline two, which is pay attention to your impact on each other. And you purposely make sure that your impact dares one another in the team and helps them to become great. Those are the first two disciplines. Pay attention to your impact is the second. The first is what undergirds it show up. That leads us to our third discipline, which we talked about last time, if you were here for that last podcast. In that third discipline, we call that be authentic. You practice that for a while and it's going to begin to take hold. That means that if you practice that discipline, you crave action over talk. You listen well. You're most curious when you're to quote Teddy Roosevelt, my favorite of all the presidents we've had in the United States, you're in the arena. Rather than merely talking about and criticizing folks who are in the arena, you're in the arena. You don't just talk about it, you enter the fray. Direct experience, as you know, has become the standard by which you function. It's, it's direct conversations, it's direct word, it's, it's the sweat and the blood and the tears to make it actually happen. You're a hands-on kind of person. As you practice this second discipline as a team, then the entire group is drawn to doers and has little patience for talkers. And you can tell the difference pretty quickly. Now, when that third discipline is unleashed, you and your team just get shit done. In fact, I've got a coffee mug hanging right in front of me that was given to me by my son, Jonathan, for that very reminder. And when he gave it to me, if I recall, he said, I gave this to you not to tell you to go out and get stuff done, but because you do. It was a huge compliment because that is the essence of that third discipline. Be authentic because you are a doer, not a talker. All right, all of that. Here we are, 12, 14, 15 minutes into this podcast. Now it's time to get the right things done in the right way at the right time. It's time to get results. If you've practiced discipline one, discipline two, and discipline three. 
High-performance teams are all about this fourth discipline. They get results. The ultimate test of your team's effectiveness lies in this simple truth. Did they get lasting results? Teams exist to get results where individuals, no matter how well organized or managed, cannot. Everything they do points to this fact. The other disciplines are practiced so that the team can achieve its purpose. While there are benefits that we can attain from the practice of these first disciplines, the reason those disciplines are practiced at all is ultimately so that your team can achieve lasting results. Short of such achievement, the team is a failure. It's a humble, curious, enthusiastic, creative, dependable, compassionate, pathologically optimistic, and disciplined failure. I'm going to back that up so you don't have to rewind it and listen to it. It's just such a big deal. It's harsh, cold reality, but this is the stuff. Short of achieving their results, your team is a failure. It may be humble. It may be curious. Maybe creative, probably dependable, compassionate, enthusiastic. It might be really optimistic, maybe even like I call pathologically optimistic, but it is a pathologically optimistic, dependable, disciplined failure. So the practice of this fourth discipline means at least five things. First, everyone is clear about the result that the team has set out to achieve. Everyone is clear about the grand and the granular details of this pursuit. You all can see it, you can taste it and feel it before it exists. It invades your dreams. It informs every decision from what car to buy to what shoes to buy, from how, what to eat to when to go to bed and when to wake up and what to read and what to say. Second, the result has got to matter to every single team member. Not one person can be a part of the team who does not crave the result. If you have someone who does not crave the result and you have compellingly described it to them and they still don't crave it, they got to get off the team. Third, every decision, every response, every surprise, every pivot is evaluated against its ability to advance or impede the achievement of the result. And this evaluation is ruthless. You can't allow any leaps in logic. There's no emotional pleas for shining and attractive diversions. Oh, and man, I've got so many ideas and I've got so many things that wouldn't it be cool if? I've got a thousand of those. In an hour, I could come up with so many that would be just shining, attractive diversions. There's no room for it. There are no, there's no room for impassioned excuses. There's no room for if-onlys. There's no time for the scenic route. A relentless focus on the result purifies everything. I'm slowing down here while I talk because I really want you to think about this. This is so important. Okay, fourth, this discipline, get results. 
seeps into every corner of the team and likely of the enterprise your team is a part. It eventually creates a result-oriented workplace. Result-focused teams, we have found, spawn other result-oriented teams. Where results are not clear, somebody's going to soon ask, well, what are we trying to do here? What result are we trying to achieve? Somebody's going to ask that question, and then movement will stop, and people will lean forward on their chairs or the balls of their feet in anticipation until clarity about the result is attained. Anything less than that is a squandering of the opportunity. Here's the fifth principle. Even setbacks are evaluated in light of the desired result. This discipline prompts the team to squeeze every ounce of value out of obstacles and failures and setbacks so that the result can be achieved more wisely. The clear, compelling result. This discipline turns our frustrating failure into valuable tuition. Winning teams are winners because, and it sounds like a silly thing, but they win. They get results, a way of describing winning. They get results in such a way that they get more results. One of the most interesting truths that we have found is that winning teams keep on winning. Teams that get results get more results. For high-performance teams, everything is about achieving the prize. As your team gets results, it will unlock this time-tested truth. Winning teams keep winning. Teams that get results, that win in their own way, get more results. There's, there's really several reasons that we've uncovered for this what we call winner's dynamic or winner's win dynamic. First, when we get results, we're actually happier as people. It's just more fun to get results. Together, we become more courageous to achieve the next win. And the celebrations of the win, even while we're celebrating, quickly pivot to conversation about our next opportunity. And you know what we could do next like that. Here's the second reason why teams that get results get more results, that winning teams win again. Second reason is that winning teams stay engaged in their work longer than teams that lose. We don't want to go home. We don't want to quit. The magic that happens right after the win is palpable, and we don't want it to end. We just hang around longer than losing teams do. It's that simple. Third idea, winning teams get curious about what they can change to win again, and they do so in a much more significant way. Winners are, are more open to criticism than losers. And again, understand, I'm not using this in a light, frivolous way. Hey, you're all winners. Not that at all. I mean, you got results. You won the prize. These winners, these teams that get results are optimistic, and they wonder if even slight changes can make the next moves to win again more effective. Here's the fourth thing we've learned. Winning teams as well as individual team members within winning teams, have a really different set of inner narrator scripts than those that lose or never quite win. It's as though our self-talk is different from that of those that never quite win or they're almost there or that actually lose. 
we're less likely to punish ourselves for mistakes made along the way to the win. So broadcast our inner thoughts and we will discover that we're kinder to ourselves than those who struggle and usually lose. And we laugh a lot. <laughs> we laugh a lot. Here's the fifth idea. Winning teams create networks of other winning teams. Even if it's not in areas that relate directly to the, the result you've achieved. Doors are thrown open to those of us that win that are not open for losing teams. Winning teams get invitations. <laughs> losing teams don't. So results matter. May seem like a cruel joke, but it's true. Winning teams usually keep on winning. And the delta between their performance and teams that almost win but don't, teams that pathologically think the next the win is around the corner, even though we've never had one, grows and grows and grows. They're given more opportunity, while the opportunity that is available to the nearly winning but never quite winning teams is taken away. Make no mistake, winning teams create a cascade of small wins along the way to their big visible wins as well. They deliberately work at progressively getting results. They talk about results all the time and they keep score of them and they celebrate their progress no matter how small. By contrast, losing teams don't usually keep score of anything but that one big, final, lagging outcome that they would call a win if they ever see it. They see themselves as losing more than winning. The more they lose, the bigger the eventual win needs to be in order to compensate for their many small losses along the way. Winning teams have achieved results that are worth celebrating. This is massive. So in our next podcast, which is the fifth discipline, winning teams celebrate. They have fun. It is a surprisingly important discipline. This celebration doesn't happen naturally, but wow, it's important. Ah, there we have it. This is such a big deal. I hope you've I hope you really understand this and I hope you put this discipline in practice. Back it up, listen to it again, share this podcast with somebody who's ready for it. Don't spread it around to people who have no idea what you're talking about. But if there's somebody on your team who's ready for this, if you are at a place in your team where you're not clear about your results, but you've got discipline one and two and three in place already, but you're not clear about what results you're trying to achieve, back up, get those results clear. I'm going to enjoy the rest of this Angel's Envy. I'm going to think about the friend of mine who gave it to me, and I'm going to finish off this cigar. I'll probably open that slider back open and put my feet up and listen to the rain fall. It's still 65, 68 degrees outside while the rain is falling, so it's a beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest. Wish you were here. If you were, we could talk about winds. What a big deal. Hey, take care. Keep up the good work. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcast books and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.